0: Pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribes get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist, so I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books. And also in Canada, the United States of America, New 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 Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and, girl, have you been begging me for a book for years. Who is it for? You. The reviews are outstanding. The press has been phenomenal, and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book, but our book. I realised after my talks around the world, women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away, but to have a tangible source to have forever. And this is it. This is refreshing, never-before-read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform, and entertain you it's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self literally glowing from within my most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you the smart girl's handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library so grab your copy today tag me on instagram at smart girl tribe and i will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you Welcome back to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, where we bring together creatives, entrepreneurs, therapists, healers, thought leaders, and game changers. Dr. Carrie being one of them. Dr. Carrie is America's leading hormone expert, and you all loved my interview with her last year, so much so we have invited her back on to discuss hormones and sex. It's an insightful, eye-opening episode, and you are going to love it. Hi, Dr. Carrie. Thank you so much for coming back on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. It is a genuine honour to have you here. We are kicking things off by talking about hormones and how they affect our sex lives and our relationships. So, to begin, could you please explain what oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin are? Please,
1: (laughs) all the good ones, all the big ones. Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back on because it's it's always a pleasure. And I'm, when you talk about sex, it's always going to be fun. But let's start with oxytocin. So oxytocin is our bonding hormone. It's the hormone that comes out um, like after an orgasm. It's that makes us feel close to somebody. It's the hormone that comes out when we breastfeed. It's the hormone that comes out when we get a really good genuine hug, or we're you know petting our dog or our cat. And we ha- they have those super cute, you know, puppy eyes or kitty eyes, and we just fall in love with them all over again, that hormone released is oxytocin. And so if, oxytocin does a number of things, but bonding, feel good, making us feel safe, uh, making us part of, um, feel like we're part of a, a group, a family, a connection, that's what oxytocin does. This is a little bit different from like dopamine. Dopamine is often called our reward hormone, but it's not so much getting the reward. It's the act and anticipation of your about to reward. So if you, um, it's, it's when your text message, the alert goes off. It's, it's the anticipation of going to open your phone and see what it is. If you are, craving chocolate and you go and reach for chocolate. It's the act of putting it into your mouth, knowing it's going to be a wonderful reward. Um, that's what dopamine helps us do. Big picture. Dopamine does a lot of things with our mood and, and, and energy and sex and focus and things like that, but it's, it's motivation reward, but it's the act of that really helps serotonin. Serotonin historically is an antidepressant hormone. That's what we all associate it with. But it's like Goldilocks, too much or too little can definitely be a problem. So um, historically, research points that if your serotonin is low, then you may struggle with depression, low mood, feeling blah, and you also make melatonin from serotonin. So if you struggle to make serotonin, you may struggle to make melatonin, which of course then helps with sleep. So if any of these hormones are off, oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, it'll definitely affect your mood because they're all, you know, mood-related hormones. Mm
0: -hmm. So when we meet someone, there are some very obvious signals in our bodies, for example, butterflies telling us, now you may like this person. So what is that process? What hormones are going off and when?
1: (laughs) All of them. (laughs) When it's the beginning, when it's the new relationship, oftentimes it gets linked to like dopamine, oxytocin, because it's exciting. And so those are what are firing. Um, maybe even in the, in the, in the stress hormone side, and I don't mean stress isn't bad because stress can be good, but maybe a little epinephrine. We feel adrenaline, right? We get a text message from the new person we're dating. We're we're going to go on a date. So we're all, we're all, our adrenaline is high and we're ready to go. And so with that initial butterflies, the excitement, the anticipation the motivation—that's that's that dopamine, oxytocin, norepinephrine, epinephrine—that gets us all fired up and eager. So what, and then that can change <laughs> over time.
0: So what happens then when we fall in love? Do all of these hormones intensify?
1: So it depends. Um, they can sh- they can shift. And so when we f- if in you know a lot of people talk about the honeymoon period, and you don't have to be married to be in the honeymoon period. It's just the initial. When you're dating someone, every everything is great, everything is wonderful, you don't see any of the red flags, everything is perfect. All those hormones are um, really high to help you get excited about this new relationship. But then what happens is over time, just like anything, the, this it's the same person, you sort of settle more into a, um, if you continue to date, or if you are progressing towards marriage, or even if you are married... Um, You sort of settled into more like a partnership, right? You settle into this great partnership, which is a shift in the hormones. It's less uh, new date exciting and more um, long-term love slow burn exciting for a lot of people. And so those hormones do shift, which is why you will read from, you know, sex psychologists and relationship psychologists and marriage counselors who say what can happen is that marriages or long-term relationships get stagnant. But what what they mean by stagnant is there's nothing firing up these hormones anymore. It's it we move into more mundane everyday tasks. Bills, cooking, trash, kids, work. We go to bed and then we repeat it all the next day. And so those hormones never get a chance to fire like they do when you're first dating and everything's new. And so that's why when you meet with oftentimes like with marriage counselors or sex counselors who say find exciting new things to do continue to date each other continue to surprise each other that helps trigger these hormones so to uh support the relationship
0: Mm -hmm. now i genuinely have a very charlotte york approach when it comes to love and relationships but to a degree is it just a matter of fact that we are all walking around and our hormones are just responding to people because when we meet someone our hormones are fired up but i couldn't my brain almost hasn't taken in what this person is like or anything so are we all just walking around with our hormones reacting to one another's
1: <laughs> yes and it could be reacting good or bad we've all definitely met somebody um maybe your best friend is like, oh my gosh, they're so cute, they're so this, they're so that, and you're like, I guess, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, or vice versa. You meet somebody and immediately you got you feel a connection, you're all your hormones feel firing, they you know, they're pheromones, they smell good, you and then and your friend is like, Really? them? that's are you sure? So it it's very individualized. Uh it's it's we're we're discussing this really pretty broad, you know, it's a pretty broad topic. Um, but we all know that like, maybe what I'm attracted to is not somebody you're attracted to or my best friend would be attracted to. Uh, and so I, that's what makes us really unique is that our hormones do fire, but they do fire for who gets us as an individual going.
0: So to a degree, when we're meeting somebody and we say, oh, you know, I really like them, we don't actually know them. When we're first meeting somebody, very... Well, so are we just trying to put words on top of almost our natural emotion, our natural gut feeling, that natural intuition telling us that we're attracted to this person?
1: Yeah, because it's a a lot of attraction obviously is sight based, right? We see the person for the first time, um, not always, but often. So that's sight based and that can help shift our hormones and get us excited, Get our dopamine up, right get our get our adrenaline going um and until they do something or we get to know them longer or it sort of fizzles out, that's what keeps us in, uh, invested in the relationship or invested in wanting to continue to talk with them or date them or meet them or what have you so yeah, initially, we don't know them, so it's a lot of our hormones reacting to our gut feeling and how we respond when we see and interact with them those initial couple of times.
0: So let's be very specific then. If someone were to go on a date with someone else, we'll say it's the third or the fourth date and this person has been nice and complimented, maybe we'll just say man and woman. The man has complimented the woman and said, you know, you're so beautiful this evening or something. And that's obviously going to trigger something within her. How long does that hormonal impact almost last within a person
1: honestly i now think uh it depends on a on a if since for man and woman as our example i think it depends on her love language so for example words of affirmation if words of affirmation is your love language then that compliment you, are, you look so beautiful tonight, will probably last a long time. It will probably go a long way. Mm. As opposed to somebody else whose acts of service, the opening of the car door, the paying of the check, the um, opening of the door to the restaurant, the, the making of the reservations and having the night planned, that will go further for somebody who prefers acts of service. They may say, th- you know, you look so beautiful tonight. Oh, you know, thank you but you didn't open my car door. <laughs> you didn't, right. You didn't, you didn't make sure, you know, you didn't open up the door to the restaurant. You just charged ahead. And, and it's just some of the, and I you know, some people may argue well manners, but, um, I feel like these, the love language can play a big role there. So mm-hmm. in your example, I think that can last a long time. You look so beautiful because that's that person's love language. And so it can be really helpful. And the more the, um, words of affirmation are used throughout the relationship, then the more that you're going to pump up their love language and help them feel like you, um, you know, feel, feel connected to the relationship.
0: Why then over time do we lose such a strong incentive to be around our partners all the time?
1: Because it becomes stagnant. I think because it becomes mundane, because the world, life, family children obligations get in the way and become not so much a like a full priority but you always know your partner's there you hope your partner is always there and so you can shift and focus your attention onto the kids onto your jobs onto a running of a household and what happens is i think the relationship gets lost in the mix and so you will hear people say when you have kids, make sure you put your own relationship first or make sure you make time for each other. Make sure you continue to date, connect, focus on each other. Because if you don't, if you turn your focus away from the relationship and towards 100% towards the children or whatever it is, it can really take a toll. And I know that everyone listening has seen this happen. They've seen it happen with their friends. Maybe they've seen it happen in coworkers. Maybe they've had it happen to themselves where they were all in on starting a business or, you know, growing a family. And as a, re, as a result, the relationship falls to the wayside. And then when you couple in stagnation, it's not exciting anymore. Bills are not sexy, right? Like trying to get your kids out the door for school in the morning is sometimes chaos in a madhouse. You're know, just trying to keep up with house stuff, pay, mm-hmm. um, uh, pay to pay bills, just, you know, financial issues, None of that's sexy, It's, but you don't talk about any of that in the beginning of a relationship. In the beginning, everything is new, and it's fun and exciting, and then after a while, it's it can become mundane, and that's why mm-hmm. these things sort of become less interesting to people.
0: How do hormones react to friends we have and love interests differently?
1: Well, friends are safety, right? Like our friends, even our... Um, Even friends of the uh, well, depending like opposite sex or same sex, when you know it's a friend, then you have that feel good, uh, joy, right? It's community, it's safe, it's love, but it's not in love. And so, the body recognizes when it's your friend, your your best friend, um, you know, your roommate, your your sibling who you're really good friends still also good friends with as opposed to your love interest that's that's an in love thing and remember humans whether we want to admit this or not we're wired to reproduce so when you are with a love interest whether you want to have children or not your brain is wired to go all right let's do this and so all the hormones fire up to get you excited about the possibility of reproduction and that's the kind of the most primitive um description for for humans that's what we're wired for oddly enough and so with a friend we're not looking to reproduce but with a with a um with a love interest that's the possibility that's the excitement so let's and it's new friends aren't usually new (laughs) friends have been around for a while.
0: So let's dive into two scenarios then, the first being, so what is it that changes when you have two friends and they have been friends for a very, very long time and you hear about this a lot and then suddenly they decide to give it a go and they fall in love and they live, let's say, happily ever after. What is that shift? What has happened there talking about hormones?
1: Well, you can, you can, you can, um, develop feelings for a friend, you know, so in it. It really depends on the scenario and the situation. I'm trying to think of like a a really good example. Like roommates are a good example, right? Like I have friends who were, they were roommates, they were platonic, they respected each other as friends, but they started to develop a crush on each other. Just because of living together, being in close quarters, seeing each other through things, talking, they became best friends, discussing stressors, things like that. And then one day, one night, one weekend, they confess their feelings for each other, and it was mutual, and they moved forward. And so the hormones do shift in that situation. Once you go from they're my friend, you do develop a crush on them, as, as an example, um, then you're going to get more of a dopamine response when you see them. You're going to get more of an oxytocin response when you see them. You're going to get more of an adrenaline response when you see them. Because it's that rush. They went from just like, oh, that's my roommate, you know, like, ooh, who's that cute person? Eh, it's my roommate, to who's that person? It's like, oh my God, that's my roommate, that's the guy I have a crush on, you know? And it's the reaction is very different and the hormones respond appropriately. It's 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 not just your roommate who's your friend, it's like the roommate that's kind of getting you going. And those hormones shift.
0: So being the expert then, how would you, Dr. Carrie, describe Feelings, because if I have feelings for someone, I wouldn't necessarily know how to explain that to someone. So, being an expert, and knowing being an expert and knowing everything that you do about hormones, how would you describe maybe the difference between feelings and hormones?
1: I don't know that you can tease them apart very well. I don't know that you can tease them apart because feelings, you know, your feelings are valid for you, and so and your feelings are uh, generated from these hormones it's um up in the brain the way even your estrogen your progesterone testosterone we've been talking a lot about dopamine serotonin oxytocin adrenaline what have you but these all activate parts of the brain that uh bring forth either happiness excitement anticipation or depression sadness longing things like that so feelings are a direct result of the way these hormones shift around and we've all as women for sure we've all felt it like think PMS right we're going along through our life and we are we're good we're good we're good we're good and suddenly it's the week before our period and we want to kill everyone and we're crying and our anxiety and we're like what the heck Mm -hmm. what the heck I had like Monday was great and Tuesday I am falling apart and it's It's not uncommon because our hormones shift. And when it shifts, it affects different receptors in our brain. And that results in these different feelings and sensations that we have.
0: Completely. And then the second scenario, let's say there are two people who have developed a connection, a very strong connection from the very first time that they have seen each other. However, they are both or one of them is unavailable Do you think they can be friends considering all of those hormones are on fire? Or do you think actually it's probably not the best time to (laughs) commit to a friendship because there are all of these hormones? Do you think hormones can die intentionally?
1: I think so. Obviously, everybody is different. Everybody listening is going to have a story about this as well. Some people are able to have an instant connection realize either they're unavailable as themselves or the person is unavailable. And over time it does, the connection does die. They realized it was just lust or a a crush. Um, and then as they get to know the person over time, they're like, Ooh, I don't think I actually, I'm, I'm really glad that we didn't pursue that any further. That would not have worked out. That would, that would have been a terrible idea. And other people can't do that. Other people develop, um, let's use the word obsessive. They realize that uh, the, unav- the, the act of being unavailable is an attraction to them. It's a real dopamine stimulation to them. And so they can't let it go. It's way too hard. And, and we know those people as well. So it's definitely not clear cut uh, as far as the hormones go, but um, it is possible. It is definitely possible.
0: And there you mentioned lust. Speaking purely about hormones, Dr. Carey, what is the difference between feeling lust and feeling in love?
1: Lust is usually that initial reaction. Lust is usually um, we get in the beginning where we lust after somebody, or maybe in the example, we lust after somebody who's unavailable. Um, We lust after movie stars, right? Actors and actresses, somebody that we would never be with, but we recognize like, oh my goodness, they're so sexy for whatever reason. That's, that's lust. Being in love, being in love is different, deeper, right? That being in love is um, safer. Being in love is more, um, what the brain is trying to, again, with reproduction, being in love could mean a family unit as opposed to lust may not lead to a family unit and and it may only be two people in a family unit I don't mean you have to start a family mm-hmm. um, but in a family unit again the brain is always trying to protect you and then reproduction is is what it's going for whether you want that or not it's just how the brain is wired so in love is protection you're in a family unit and you know the potential for reproduction is there lust not so much not really protective not generally not always considered safe and I don't mean safe by unhealthy I just mean safe as in Um, it's not a unit. It's just you're lusting after somebody or something. So it is two different types of views in your brain.
0: So knowing everything you do about hormones, how quickly do people on average fall in love?
1: Oh, all the time. (laughs) How many of your friends have been like, I'm totally in love. And but honestly, how many people overuse the word love, right? Mm -hmm. We say love for all the time, we tell our friends we love them. We tell, you know, co-workers we love them. We tell our family we love them. And so I love you, love you, um, what have you is uh, is used quite a bit. But when you are with somebody, it um, like a potential partner, it's trying to differentiate the early parts of lust. Are you really just, is it, is it really just that lusting because it's new and exciting and awesome? all the dopamine is firing and then usually love happens over time. Love is when you move into the development of a unit, so to speak, to be, you know, kind of primal. Um, That's when, as we move into love, because we can say right away, like, oh my gosh, I fell, you know, I fell in love with her right away. It's like, well, I, everyone understands what you mean, but you probably lusted. It was, Mm -hmm. it was the excitement right away that grew into to what we, as humans, call love.
0: What is the hormonal shift going from lust to being in love?
1: So there's a lot of theories out there about that. A lot of it's this, like a, the theory between like the shift in dopamine, um, uh, the the shift in epinephrine, the shift in oxytocin, and and um, and then some of our other hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, and the effects on the brain. Um, Because, again, it's like dopamine seems to be really high in the beginning um, when we're everything is exciting about the person we're talking to, texting, dating, lusting after, and in love, your dopamine isn't isn't necessarily um, is high, but some of your other hormones are are are, or continue or sustaining, continuing that um, or shifting you out of lust into love. Although, to be honest, there are a lot of couples that are in love and have been together a while and they still lust after each other. You know, like they still have it. They still, they've still got that chemical connection that every time they see each other, even 10, 15 years later, they, they, they are just very sweet and they are very, they get the butterflies or you'll, you'll hear somebody, you know, maybe your friend or an aunt or a sister who's like, man, every time, you know, I just love him or her so much. Like I just, they just really whatever. Give me butterflies, turn me on, get me excited. Like to this day, 10 years later, I'm so madly in love with this person. And then others aren't that way. We absolutely have those friends and family that are like, man, take it or leave it. Like it's comfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> where, you know, we just do our thing and it's fine. And so I, again, it's hard to general generalize around hormones and relationships because we all know those people who fall into those different categories. In love a long time, still left, lust after each other in love a long time, sort of stagnant Mm. mundane like they're not going to break up but they're just sort of cruising along in beige area as opposed to red hot area Mm
0: -hmm. for anyone struggling right now listening thinking i have been in either a long-term relationship perhaps even a long-term marriage and they're struggling what can they do to fire up those hormones again at the very beginning we spoke about some exciting things could you provide some examples please dr Carey?
1: One of my favorite books, I'll be honest, well, there's two. One is called Come As You Are, and the other is Mind the Gap. Um, And Mind the Gap is written by um, a British author, actually. And they're really helpful at explaining, especially as it uh, comes to libido, on how, especially for women, we um, lose libido or our libido goes down over time. And a lot of it has to do with influences outside influences right that stagnation that everyday routine it's not sexy picking up the kids from school it's not sexy packing lunches it's not sexy vacuuming and so it's trying to recognize this and figure out and especially the book called come as you are figuring out that she calls it a break and an accelerator so figuring out what is your break like um what are the things in life that immediately turn you off is it like your to-do list is really long that your partner has not been helping around the house, that you're stressed out, that you haven't been sleeping, that the dog threw up again. And then what is your accelerator? And so she gives different examples of what would help get you um, maybe ready, in the mood, open, considering it faster. And they may, may not be one in the same. An accelerator may be like um, when he – if it's a male-female relationship. Um, or It actually doesn't matter. When the significant other – does the dishes you know for me when they take things off of my plate when I don't have to ask them ten times when the kids are at, at the babysitter um, then I'm more relaxed and I'm more when I've gone through my to- do list once my to-do list is done like okay, you can approach me um, She gave another example about like times of the cycle where women might know at certain times of their menstrual cycle that they're more in the mood and ready and just being and just communicating that as opposed to pms week snapping at their partner just be like, not this week, but like, you know, give me a week and it, and it might be, you know, like, then I'll be ready. And it sounds, um, it doesn't sound that even what I'm explaining doesn't sound exciting, uh, or any, but it is helpful when you read the books. It's, it's a lot of like, Oh, aha moments. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, right. I probably am not going to have the libido of somebody in my twenties, you know, a young age who doesn't have a lot of life stressors on them. Um, and as we get older, we add more and more from bills to work to relationship issues to children, et cetera, et cetera. And so by understanding that it may not necessarily be your hormones, it may just be things around your life if you're really struggling. I, like I said, I highly recommend these books that it could be hormones. The hormones are easy to test and, and you can get help for. But it might also be what's happening in your life and how to view it differently or how to categorize break, and accelerator so that you can communicate to your partner what you need that would help uh, spice things up. But it's a two-way street, right? Don't always Mm -hmm. think it's you. Uh, It it could definitely be your partner. It it takes two. Completely. (laughs) At the bare minimum. So so you've got to talk with your partner too. Mm -hmm.
0: How do hormones affect sex, and how is sex affected by hormones?
1: sex uh, hormones affect sex a lot I think um in the in the book is, you will read that uh the author her name is in uh, come as you are her name is Emily Nagoski she feels that hormones maybe aren't as big as a um player when it comes to libido or sex um and I actually feel that um shifting hormones probably pay, play about a 50 percent role I think they play a lot bigger role uh, maybe than she does but I'm also in the field of hormones that's the field I work in and, and and those are the the women that I talk to and men that I talk to every single day. And so, you know, is women like a PMS is women are very stressed out. Is women are transitioning into perimenopause is women have just delivered a baby and they're breastfeeding and they're like, well, I, you know, like nothing feels good. That is all, that's all hormonal. And that's going to, uh, it, that's all part hormonal, I should say. And that's all going to affect the, um, her pleasure and her sex drive. And on the flip side, sex also helps improve hormones. We know that after sex in women, oxytocin tends to go up, right? We know that when, when in good sex, where we feel, uh, whether you orgasm or not necessarily, it's, we feel connection. We feel, we can feel bonded if we feel safe, you know, and it, it again, everyone is individuals. There's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of trauma and a lot of triggers out there. So assuming it's a safe, environment and a safe experience, then generally they, women feel more, um, less stressed with sex, right? They feel they've, they've moved out of the, what we call a sympathetic response into a parasympathetic, which is like rest, digest, relax, what have you. And the more you do that, then it could be m- more helpful to the body, more oxytocin release, more stress relief, um, more, it, it um trying to think of like how i would describe this i'm not i'm cuz i don't want i don't want people to think that i'm like saying like oh well dr carry said you have to have sex all the time no it's not what i'm saying but it is definitely helpful like i've had i've had patients say Carrie, i haven't had sex in a year like i wouldn't even know how to do it and I'm, you know like okay then they, once we get them having sex again, it is a little bit like riding a bike. Like you have to get on and you have to kind of do it consistently. And I've had a lot of women say, you know what, once I started to be more consistent, whether that's once a week, twice a week, even if it's twice a month, you know, just consistency as opposed to never, they're like, wow, I noticed a big difference. I actually, I feel better. I feel more relaxed. I feel like needs are getting met. I didn't know needed to be met. Um, I feel more connected to my partner, assuming mm-hmm. it's a safe situation. And so um it the hormones affect the sex, but then sex also definitely affects hormones and the relationship. It's a hard topic to talk about because it's mm-hmm. very individualized. Like I I having seen women for a long, long, long time and seen women in all sorts of relationships and all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of histories, all sorts of hormones, um, it's really hard to generalize. But these the two books. If you're listening and this is resonating for your situation, those two books, Mind the Gap and Come As You Are, might be a helpful resource, a helpful starting point just to understanding sex, health and hormones.
0: Can these hormonal benefits only be achieved by or with a partner or can they also be achieved, for example with an electrical device, Dr. Carey. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like oxytocin, we know that any orgasm, whether it's alone or with people, releases oxytocin. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And a lot of women listening are like, absolutely, absolutely. When I, self-orgasm, I feel amazing afterwards. I feel less stressed. I feel happier. I feel like, you know, women will be like, God, I needed that. So I watched a TikTok yesterday. This is really funny, of a woman um, she was charging she was charging her, her vibrator and she accidentally left it out and her son her teenage son came in and, and saw it and he was it was this hilarious video and she's laughing 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 and the son is just losing his mind about like mom you have to hide like he's like you have to hide that that's so like what are you doing and I'm like yeah yes mm-hmm. I'm so glad this mom you know I don't know if she's in a relationship or not it doesn't matter but like she's getting hers and she, you know, she needs it. She uses it when she needs to. And I'm like, absolutely. And I understand why a teenage son would find that hor- horrifying, but at the same time, it's also important that men know, you know, men self-satisfy. So do women. Mm-hmm. So it's okay.
0: Is there anything our partner can do to help regulate our hormones?
1: To help regulate our hormones. Um, well, so a lot of our hormones, if we start at the, at the most sort of primitive basic, again, so our brains, our brains are not there to make us happy, sadly. Our brains are there to protect us. And in the female brain, if we don't feel protected or safe, then it could throw off our menstrual cycle. Because if we're not safe enough and healthy enough to have a baby... It could make our PMS worse, our cycles heavy or long, we may get our period early, we may get our period late, our period may run long, we may not ovulate, a lot can go wrong. And again, it doesn't I'm not saying implying you have to have a baby, I'm just explaining female physiology. So if our partner doesn't make us feel safe, so you know we'll put a little bit of a trigger warning in here. If our partner doesn't make us feel safe, then it could have impacts on our hormones, all of our hormones, cortisol adrenaline, estrogen, progesterone, what have you on the flip side. If we feel like we're in a very safe, uh, let's say committed relationship, we feel pretty bonded to our partner, even if it is mundane on, on the mundane side, then that's the basic your, your uh, family unit is your first and most intimate community. Cause that's who's under your roof. And so if your partner helps you feel safe, happy, committed, Etc. bonded, then that's a very first start when it comes to hormone, to hormone regulation. And we hear all the time, it's not up to our partners to make us feel happy. It's, it's our job as humans. It's our, our job individually to help us feel happy. But at the same time, our partners certainly hurt or help the situation (laughs) even though I know I'm married I even though I know it's not my husband's job to make me happy at all when he's stressed out when he's in a bad mood when he's angry it definitely affects me right I feel happy when he's happy I get angry for him when he's angry when he's stressed out I want to help him and so it's it it, the the mood of the partner you're with can absolutely take its toll on your mood which could affect your hormones Mm
0: mm-hmm if we wanted to approach our intimate relationships differently, how could we cleanse our hormones? Being the expert, what would you recommend? Is there anything that we can do maybe prior or even post-sex at this point?
1: Well, so beforehand, I uh, in full disclosure, I do work for a hormone testing company. So I am a big fan of men and women understanding where their hormone levels are. Get a baseline. Ask your GP for some hormone testing Um, And for women, estrogen, progesterone, even testosterone, cortisol, DHEA, thyroid, these things will give a lot of feedback to somebody that could really affect uh, their relationship and and their also relationship with sex. Not to mention fatigue or insomnia or PMS, like those hormones all play a role there. So prior to um, uh, thinking, you know, like, oh my gosh, what's going on with me? get hormone tested. Let's see what's happening. Let's maybe you're hypothyroid, you know, maybe you have low progesterone, maybe you have low testosterone, maybe your cortisol is through the roof and all of that is going to affect your relationship. Most likely your libido and your relationship with sex. Now post-sex is really interesting. There is some very cool research about the, um, uh, vaginal microbiome. And because we know there's a microbiome inside the vagina. So the microbiomes are like the bacteria that live in us and on us. And we have an intestinal microbiome. We have a skin microbiome and we have a vaginal microbiome. We we have microbiomes all over. And so the health of your partner, male or female, it could absolutely 100% affect the microbiome of you. So if you have an unhealthy partner who has an unhealthy microbiome and you continue to get yeast infections or feel itchy or feel pain or swollen every time you have sex it doesn't matter if your partner is male or fa- female if they're have a unhealthy microbiome it can affect you absolutely and i see this all the time and they're starting to research this that the microbiome of one partner will absolutely affect the microbiome of another and um and it's also in part, why is for females, we say after any kind of intercourse, make sure you urinate afterwards to help reduce the risk of infection. It's to help, in theory, to help get, you know, bacteria or any other kind of thing out once you urinate after sex. But it, you can still definitely affect that microbiome. So your partner's health, how they take care of themselves, what their gut health is, what their skin health is, what hormones and medications they're on, like that can affect you too. And the research is cool. And I know women are listening to this going, I knew it. I knew it. Mm -hmm. I knew it when my, you know, let's say my husband, I knew when my husband is eating like crap and drinking lots of beer, like I'm more likely to get a yeast infection, you know, or I, you know, I know that um, they were on a medication and you know, we had sex and I was affected. I, I fell off because of it. And everyone told me I'm crazy. They're starting to do research on this. So I think, it's important that when our microbiomes come together, that can affect our health.
0: How common is hormone imbalance affecting people's sex lives, and maybe they don't even realize it?
1: There was an article. I think. I think the study was done actually in the UK, where they said that a number of divorces, uh, women in their forties and fifties going through divorce, um, was possibly increased by the transition of into perimenopause and menopause. And then that, because so many women don't get the help that they need. No, nobody's recognizing or acknowledging or teaching about perimenopause and menopause that women are experiencing depression, anxiety, insomnia, plus body changes, plus, you know, plus, plus, plus is they're making these shifts and it's taking a toll on their marriage or their relationships. And it's, resulting in maybe more, uh, divorces or breakups or what have you. And so it was an interesting study. And I've often said this in practice where I've had, um, a number of women that hit their forties and fifties and they're just done. You know, they're just like, I don't feel good. I'm not tolerating BS anymore. And they want, they want out. Um, they get divorced or they break up or what have you. And I've had a number, a number of women that start to enter into perimenopause, seek help, get hormone testing. Maybe they get put on hormones or we do some sort of hormone balancing. And they're like, Oh my gosh, thank goodness. Because this was really taking a toll on my partnership. And I knew if I didn't get any help, it could have gone down a really bad road that I didn't want. And I'm not saying all divorces are due to hormones. Please mm-hmm. don't read into that at all. But it was really interesting to reach the, read this study where they, where, um, the lack of acknowledgement around the shift into perimenopause and menopause um, does take a, a, a toll on relationships. And honestly, the study was on perimenopause and menopause, but I would, I would argue, any shifts um, take a big toll on relationships. So, uh, pregnancy, delivery, breastfeeding—you know, these any of these big shifts in the female body do shift the hormones and can shift moods, which will then shift what's going on with the relationship and to um, don't just run for a breakup, get get a workup if this sounds like it might fit you in your situation.
0: In our last podcast episode, we discussed how animals, they can, if they have gone through trauma, they can affect and impact our hormones. Do we take on any stress or trauma our partner has gone through And does that then affect our hormones as well?
1: So if, yeah, a hundred percent, um, uh, there, if you, especially if the partner has gone through trauma and you've been there with them, um, so maybe the trauma hasn't directly affected you, but you've, you've witnessed it through their eyes, um, a hundred percent it can, it can affect your hormones always. And if you weren't there, let's say you weren't a part of their trauma, um, let me give you an example. Like, let's say you marry somebody who um, has PTSD. So you weren't there for the initiating event of the PTSD, but they are either still working through the PTSD or they've chosen not to work through it. They, they don't seek any help, but they still struggle quite a bit with PTSD. Um, then, of course, 100% that's going to affect you, um, your hormones, everything about the relationship. So trauma doesn't have to just be personal. It can absolutely... Once you become a unit, then it's like their trauma is your trauma because you're the, you're the other half of the relationship and um, you're the partner who's going to be with them as they're experiencing their world. So it can negatively affect hormones.
0: So speaking purely physically and in graphic detail, <laughs> when a man ejaculates does his sperm contain hormones and if that is in a woman can that have an impact on her
1: so this is so interesting one of my friends um because we're getting you know graphic so one of my friends has long told me when they she's um with her ex when they have sex unprotected sex that her last partner, um, was overweight and very, what I would, we would describe as like yeasty, like he, like a lot of yeast. He drank a lot of beer. He had the classic beer belly. He had skin rashes. And so she said, I constantly had yeast infections. Once they broke up, she's with the new partner. The new partner is on testosterone. He's, he does testosterone injections. And she says, she said, now I feel like every time we have sex that I get this sort of testosterone increase, this testosterone, uh, boost. She said, Mm -hmm. I swear, I swear that the hormones, he has hormones that comes through or, or whatever it is, infections or things that come through the semen. Um, and so in theory, sperm themselves don't have, they're not like carriers of testosterone. They're not like carriers of estrogen or DHEA, but I think, um, there's a lot more study, funny enough, to be, I mean, as it's being done on the, on, the, on the vaginal microbiome and the effect on semen itself, which is the fluid that, you know, carry the, the sperm through and then on the sperm themselves. Because um, I actually don't know if they've ever tested, I should look that up, if they've ever actually tested semen to see what, if hormones, trace amount of hormones get carried through. And when I say trace, to some people, they may go, oh, well, trace, that's hardly anything but in females we don't make a lot of testosterone not compared to men so in men who are on testosterone if trace amounts of testosterone are coming through into the semen into our vagina um we're going to feel that rather rather quickly because any little bit any little boost to the female can make a noticeable difference and so um it just like just like um it can go vice versa especially like now women will use hormone replacement therapy, menopause replacement therapy, and they'll use it vaginally. So they'll use vaginal estrogen or vaginal testosterone or vaginal DHEA. And, um, if she's using that and having sex either with men or women, anyone who's touching down in that area, you can pick it up. Hormones are what we call, um, they, they're, they're lipophilic. They like fat. And so if, if he is having sex with her and she has used vaginal testosterone, he can pick that up. If she's using to vaginal estrogen, he can pick that up. Um, so it's not like what's made from her own body, but it just goes to show how easily these hormones can get picked up by anyone because of their nature. So yes, in my friend example, um, I've actually heard it a couple of times, but this friend is very specific where she's mm-hmm. like, He's on testosterone and we have unprotected sex. I definitely can tell more androgenic, more more, like more testosterone.
0: Well, thank you very much for sharing that story. (laughs) I think that will help a lot of listeners out because I know they're talking about being plant based and vegan and things like this. You often get into conversations about the trauma that animals carry and how it can affect people. So I was fascinated to know if it's the same during intercourse, in this case speaking purely about men. Do materials affect hormones?
1: What do you mean by materials?
0: So again, being very graphic in English, in British English, we say condoms. I know in American English you say rubbers. Can that affect, because I know that we have previously spoken about being having following a clean beauty routine and mm-hmm. clean shampoo and clean conditioner mm-hmm. and things like this so can materials around us yeah affect our hormones and if yeah, so
1: absolutely can rubbers- yeah I mean think about anything that so the vagina is very um sponge-like in mm-hmm. the the tissue in there the tissue up in there really soaks things up um, quite easily. And people don't realize that. And so if you're allergic to latex or just even sensitive to latex, and that's what you're using, then that, that, um, irritation, vaginal irritation can affect not only just the vagina, but it could potentially affect hormones depending on how often you're having sex, um, and how often you're using this. And the same goes for lubrication. Uh, people are using all sorts of things for lubrication, but if they're sensitive, if they're using a lubrication, that's flavored colored, um, full, you know, full of chemicals, uh, cause they're just grabbing whatever, um, at the, in the, in the heat of the moment. And then they realize the next day, well, it feels kind of irritated. It feels kind of itchy. Um, like that local irritation, inflammation can be enough mm-hmm. to irritate, you know, maybe it's also irritates the intestines. It could also maybe have an influence on the hormones, uh, depending how often, how regularly you're using these kind of materials women will be able women listening are going to say like yep totally i've experienced that uh that makes sense i didn't know that was a thing or they'll switch they'll, they'll switch to a, a more natural based lubricant a cleaner lubricant and all their problems will sort of resolve and so um yes materials can influence the tissue the microbiome mm-hmm. hormones absolutely
0: And in our previous podcast episode, we discussed also how inanimate objects such as candles can affect our hormones. Is there anything in particular we have in the home, specifically our bedroom, that could affect our hormones to the point it has an impact on our personal lives?
1: So honestly, well, I mean, anything that affects hormones in general, and I hear this over and over and over again from patients, from women in my comments and my DMs. That once they did go cleaner and greener and their hormones got better, that they did just feel in general either their libido increased, their vaginal irritation went away, um, their their mood improved. Is it is it a miracle cure? No, but I've heard it enough, even to the point of women who said, you know, I stopped using conventional tampons. I bought 100% organic tampons and all my vaginal issues got better. Sex doesn't hurt anymore and I just my cramps went away. Um, I've had women switch, maybe they can't do tampons. They switched to hundred percent organic pads. Um, and they're like, like, Oh my gosh, made a huge world of difference. The irritation's gone. This is gone. That's gone. Mm -hmm. What have you. And so I really invite women. Um, it's not just one thing, but you know, look at, it's all the things collectively over time. That's what it is. And so you don't have to remove or change everything at once. Start slowly, start, you know, as you run out of of a box of tampons, the next one you buy, try to buy one that's 100% organic, not sprayed cotton. Um, If you're using lubrication, like, next time you go to buy it, look for one that's cleaner, maybe more, like, vitamin E-based or Mm -hmm. or coconut oil-based or or what have you. Um, And and you just got to work your way down the line as you're getting rid of candles and you're getting rid of, you know, fragrance sprays or plug-ins or... Your detergent, we wear, we wear underwear, and so is your detergent scented because you like the scent, but now it's on your underwear that's rubbing against your personal parts, could be causing local inflammation, irritation, increasing your risk for things like yeast infections and BV. So all, all these, um, it's like a spider web. It is mm-hmm. all connected. There's not one thing, but it is definitely all connected, and it all could be affect our personal life just like with men all these things will affect his testosterone they Mm -hmm. can affect his sperm count his erection ability like these can take a toll
0: and I understand completely that contraception is a huge subject within itself, but obviously talking about sex and relationships, we do have to get onto it a little bit. Is there anything in particular, any general advice you wish more women knew, Dr. Carrie, about contraception when it comes to their hormones?
1: I I wish a lot more I wish there was a lot more research, study, and money sent given to women in contraception, because I think the options that we have right now I'm very grateful for the options we have right now, but um, they, a lot of them come with a lot of side effects and a lot of risks and a lot of women are experiencing that. So um, like the birth control pill is a classic example. I'm very grateful that we have the birth control pill and it's an option out there, but I do wish women understood the risks before going blindly going on to it. Um, so that if they choose to go on the birth control pill, that they know, okay. If I get any of these symptoms, I'm going to go back and talk to my GP and say, I'm having the I'm having these things. I'm having headaches. I'm having a lot of GI issues come up. I've gained weight. My depression is worse. Like, okay, let's let's reevaluate this. The same for maybe an IUD. You get an IUD inserted, um, the or coil as you call them. So that you get an IUD or a coil, and you notice your hair has gotten greasier. Your face is breaking out more. Your back hurts. You're gaining. You're like, I don't. What is going on? Mm. These things. I want you to be aware. You know, it's. It isn't. These are known side effects of, of getting the IUD or coil in. It's possible. It's not the right thing for you. It's not working for you. As opposed to, no, that can't be it. I don't know what it is. Here's an antidepressant. It's like, mm, mm. you. Mm, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Just be aware. Get told the side effects to watch out for because then that way you won't get blown off in the future should, God forbid, you do get any side effects. So that's what I want women to know about about birth control. They're not without side effects.
0: No, thank you so much for your honesty there. Is there any particular source that women can turn to online that you, being a doctor, would recommend strongly that women turn to that source as opposed to a national magazine, let's say?
1: (laughs) About around birth control?
0: Contraception, birth control, even
1: hormones in general. Um, well, so I'm trying to think about, um, if I have like one resource, I have a number all these books right here. I have a number of fantastic books that, uh, that I recommend Mm -hmm. regularly. So for example, um, uh, Nicole, her name is Nicole Jardim, J A R D I M. She wrote fix your period. She goes in quite depth to hormones and just going through the periods, Um, Dr. Jolene Brighton, she has, uh, beyond the, the pill, beyond the birth control pill, um, and beyond the pill, if you're on the pill, um, it's a really great resource. And if you're looking to come off the pill, it's also a really great resource. And then, um, I, like I said earlier for libido, there's uh, come as you are. And then of course, mind the gap and turn around, looking at this. Um, what is the other big one? oh the fifth vital sign Lisa Hendrickson Jack has the has the fifth vital sign which is all about the menstrual cycle your period is the fifth vital sign and so there's some really good easy to read uh mm-hmm. easy to understand books that are out there
0: amazing well you have answered that question my next question which was going to be what books would you recommend on this subject and my <laughs> final question yes. what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by
1: Oh, it's behind me on this reader board. Healing happens at joy. And I say it all the time. In fact, I might've said it last time. (laughs) You can be happy for a lot of reasons, but it doesn't bring you joy. It's like when you truly feel joyous, that's Mm. when the body shifts more into that rest, digest, repair, um, sort of deeper happiness. And so search, search out joy, search out things that make you joyful. Uh, so healing happens at joy. That's my favorite.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Carrie, for coming on to the podcast again. It's amazing to have you here. I love our conversation. So thank you. Thank you. I super Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clarke, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organisation, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.